Recorded live in the Phantasmo Lounge, high atop the Dr. Alfred Necessitor building in beautiful Midtown Chesapeake, Virginia. It's Phantasmo After Dark with your host, Rob Floyd, and co-host, Phyllis Floyd. Tonight's topic, Waxwork and Waxwork 2. Imagine, if you will, an exhibit in fear. It looks a little spooky, boys. You think we should do this? Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the old podcast. Hey, Phyllis. Hey, Rob. It's our, what, is this our first one back after our um, adventures and misadventures at Monster Bash? Yes, I believe that it is. We had quite the uh, adventurous trip being broke down on the side of the mountain and craziness ensued, but people were very nice. Yeah, had a little car trouble on the way back that set us back a few days, but Monster Bash itself was a lot of fun. It was. We We had had a a great time. time. Yeah, hanging out with some friends and the Lobos and Kitleys and... Uh, seeing folks we only see a couple times a year and all the cool stuff at Monster Bash. If you get a chance to go to Monster Bash, definitely go, if you're, especially if you're a huge classic horror guy like yeah, I am. absolutely. It's a whole lot of fun. Yes, good times. Yes, but that aside, our topic for tonight, Waxwork and Waxwork 2. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Waxwork is one of those films that it's got a bit of a cult following. It does. Okay. I mean, I've heard about it forever. But it's one of those also that, for me, it had the potential to be a lot of fun, and it just kind of missed the mark all over the place. Yeah. It's an 80s film. 1988, to be exact, is when the first one came out. And the second one was, I think, 90 or 92. I'll have to look at that when we get to it. A few years later, anyway. The first one, the basic premise is, it starts off with these two um, college girls walking down the street, going, getting ready to go to class, and they see this big old mansion house, and it says waxwork on the outside, like in the middle of a neighborhood. This mm-hmm. guy opened up a waxwork museum, and David Warner is the guy that owns it. Now, I think his last name is Lincoln. Correct. His character's name. And he invites them to a special private midnight showing of the waxwork. Yes. And they're and they supposed bring to bring up six, six friends. friends. He was very specific. So they get their six friends and they show up at this late night showing. And one thing, all their, them and all their friends, Deborah Foreman is one of the girls. And she's probably the only likable character. The rest of them De- are... Deborah Foreman's character's name, by the way, is Sarah Brightman. And apparently no one knew. Yeah, the director, who was the writer also, and who appears in the film... We didn't realize that Andrew Lloyd Webber was married to Sarah Brightman and she was a famous Broadway star. Yeah, which is just funny. But anyway, yeah. go ahead. Anyway, she's the most likable character. All the other ones are like rich douchebag assholes. They were. Even Zach Galligan, who's in this, and of course he was from Gremlins. He's not very likable in this and he's supposed to be the hero. Right. So anyway, but they go to this uh, this showing and Foreman and Zach Galligan end up bailing out. For so I forget the reason, but they don't want to see everything. And the rest of them go through and end up getting killed. And the way they get killed is they enter the exhibits. Like they, they walk off the the path and go step into the exhibits and they get transported into that world. Yeah. Because this is a, it's a waxwork, like a, each waxwork is a scene. It's not like just a, a wax statue. Yeah. There's like a little set piece around them and it's roped off. The rope drops and they walk through and they like the one girl appears in go walks into Dracula and it's uh 
How much O'Keefe is playing Dracula? <laughs> Miles. Miles O'Keefe is playing Dracula. Uh, and, and he is the most bland Dracula oh I've God. ever seen. Yeah, he's a good-looking guy. Very good-looking well guy. You think he would in long hair. You think he'd be a smooth, cool Dracula. Welcome, my dear. We thought you were too tired to join us. I don't know if it's him or just the way it's written or directed, but he is so bland and boring as Dracula. Steak tartar? Oh, yes. Steak tartar. He really is. But they each go into different scenes. Like, one goes into a Night of the Living Dead scene. One goes into, um... What's the other one? A ones? werewolf scene. A werewolf scene. Which, mm -hmm. the werewolf in that is played by John Rhys Davies. Yeah. And uh, and they each end up getting killed. And then they become part of the scene. They appear as the victim in the scene after right. that. Right. Correct. Zach Galligan in The Next Day and Sarah Brightman, Deborah Foreman, realize their friends haven't come back and they think something's wrong at the waxworks. So they go back and they can't find anything. Then they go to John Steed, uh, Patrick McNee, who was a friend of Zach Galligan's granddad. And he tells them about fighting evil and they figure out David Warner is this guy who's been around for a long time. And he gives them this information and they will help them and they go back. And there's other stuff that goes on. Uh, they get a cop to actually go in and look at the place, and he ends up in one of the scenes, becomes part of the wax work. And the whole idea is apparently, because at first I was not very sure, Yeah. the Lincoln, the guy who owns the wax work, is just an evil guy, and he is trying to... You have to, I guess you have to fill the scene. Each scene has to be filled with a victim. And once yeah. that happens, by a certain timeline then all of the waxwork, the portals open and those evil creatures from the waxwork will then come out into our world. So he's releasing all of them into our world. To use the evil to take over the world. Right, but we don't really understand how. Yeah, I can't remember what his, what his real motivation was behind it other than he was just evil and wanted to do it. Yeah, I don't... Yeah, I don't, but I don't, does he have power, like control over them at that point? But it has to be six was the th reason. Yeah, that's what he needed. Um, and I'm sure it's in there, and we probably just missed it. I, I must have. It is a bit convoluted, and a few of the, the scene, the portal scenes go on a little long, Yeah, drag a little bit, but some of them are kind of fun. I mean, yeah. it's not bad. It's just, it kind of, for me, it misses the mark of being really cheesy fun. Yeah. I think the reason that I... I liked the movie and I did enjoy watching it. Some of it felt a little slow. Yeah. The reason I didn't like it more is because I didn't like the characters at all. Oh yeah, there, you know, like you Sarah could, Brightman, I liked, but yeah, I they were all just uh, douchebag yeah. assholes. Yeah, that's right. And actually, you know, I meant to bring this up when you first started, but the the movie doesn't actually open with the girls walking down the street. Oh, that's right. It the opens. movie opens with oh, with a pretty gory scene. Actually, no, that first kill is right at the beginning. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And then it goes to... And that's to, like in the past. Yes. Right? Yeah. That's right. But then it goes to um, Zach yeah. in oh, having his, breakfast with, with his, his mother. Who's, who's an overbearing this, shrew of a woman. Like super rich jerk. Uh, it's just terrible. Yeah. And he's sitting there reading a comic at the table. They're on either end of a exaggeratedly long yeah. dining table with a... Big flower and thing in the middle. She's giving him crap about, you, you had a drink with the butler. You shouldn't associate with them. You know. Yeah, yeah. And he said, when are you going to let me have coffee with my breakfast? And she said, when you're old enough. And he said, I am old enough. I'm in college. I'm <laughs> yeah. 20 whatever. And she said, we'll see. He's like, I could really use the caffeine. 
And anyway, so I, it's just how he's spoiled and just it's terrible. He's such an unlikable person, yeah. which is weird because, you know, he's so likable in Gremlins. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of all I knew him from. He shifts gears. His character is written completely different. But we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. Now, well, so you didn't go through the entire cast of the first yeah. one. So who all's in this? Okay, so Zach Galligan from Gremlins is in it. Deborah Foreman from Valley Girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michelle Johnson from, she was in Blame It on Rio, a lot of other, a lot of TV in the 80s. Oh, and she was in Gung Ho. Uh, David Warner, of course, who was in everything. Mm-hmm. John Rice Davies, who was in everything. How much O'Keefe? Miles. Miles O'Keefe. And Patrick McNee. Right. Uh, oh, also Eric Brown, who was the kid in uh, My Tutor. Okay. Which is an 80s teen comedy thing. Mm-hmm. That's the bulk of the cast right there. And, you know, that's a good good cult movie cast of people there. Some recognizable names. Also, though, uh, Kane Hodder, uncredited. Oh. Uh, well, actually, he's credited as, as being part of the stunt team. So he did stunts in it, but he's uncredited. He was the Frankenstein monster. I was the, getting ready to say, wax. I bet he was the Frankenstein yeah. monster. Let's see. Also, the executive producer and his secretary were two of the zombies in like the Night of the Living Dead scene. Mm-hmm. Two of the prominent zombies in that. And the writer-director, can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he was the English prince in, a, in the uh, Marquis de Sade scene. Oh, okay. And he's also has a speaking role in the second one, too. Yeah. So uh, a couple of interesting things about this movie. It was written in three days. Oh, wow. The guy wrote the script in three days. The phantom scene, that was supposed to be Jason from Friday the 13th. Oh. And there's also... a. Uh, the Children of the Damned was supposed to be a scene, mm-hmm. and The Thing was oh. supposed to be a scene, but they couldn't get the rights for legal reasons. Yeah. Even though all of these scenes, by the way, as far as I'm aware, are supposed to be historical scenes, or are they supposed to be fictitious scenes? Is it the next movie that well, just does? the line was supposed to be when Jason, if it was Jason, it was mm-hmm. written as the cop walks in and says, oh, yeah, it's that Jason guy from that movie. From Friday the 13th. And David Warner Lincoln says, they made a movie about the Jason killings. Oh, gotcha. So when it's, when he sees the Phantom, he goes, oh, you know, Phantom, I love that movie or something like that. And, and he says, they made a movie about the Phantom? Yeah. The okay. Phantom killings or something like that. So it's like supposed that. to be real stuff. Yeah. Real, real timeline, historical. But everybody whatever. thinks they were movies kind yeah. of thing. Okay. The, the scene in, in the vampire's basement where, I guess, Michelle Johnson goes down there mm-hmm. and... You know, she gets attacked and there's a lot of blood and all. Apparently that was really gory and kind of over the top. Hmm. And the MPAA, MPAA uh, made him cut a lot out of that hmm. to, to keep it an R rating. Uh, I would like to see how much more. Because there was a lot of blood spraying. In there. there was. I can't imagine being so much that it needed to be more than an R rating. Yeah. Oh, and that opening scene, the house in that opening scene mm-hmm. was the same house they used for uh, the original Willard. Oh, okay. That now the end has that big barroom type fight in the wax museum, which is just which is really kind of messy convoluted mess. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna say that a lot. Yeah, that was kind of a last minute decision because they ran out of money towards oh. the end of filming. Okay, and a lot of the stuff in the second movie, the time hopping mm-hmm. stuff back and forth, was supposed to be the end of this movie, mm. and they couldn't afford to to continue to do that. So he rewrote to have this big fight where all. Patrick McNee and his old guy, evil fighter friends, come in and help Zach Galligan, you know, destroy the... Uh, destroy all evil. Destroy all evil, yeah. 
Uh, oh, David Warner. All his scenes were filmed in two days. Huh. Because he was contracted to do another film. So that's when he could fit this in. So they did all his in two days. Uh, which you can kind of see that. Yeah. You know, because he's not in it a whole lot, really. Right, right. Uh, another interesting thing, Deborah Foreman, the Sarah Brightman character, was dating the director mm-hmm. during the time of this filming. And uh, I think he said in commentary or something on the second movie, apparently they had a messy breakup oh. in between the two movies. So That's why they replaced her. Yeah. So in the second movie, that's why there's somebody else playing her character because she was offered the role, mm. but she didn't want to work with him again. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> this is something I found out, too, doing a little research. You know, the, the, the missing posters the policeman's looking at? Yeah. In his office? Mm-hmm. All those posters are the same posters that were in the Lost Boys. Really? Yeah, they just put a different picture on the front, huh. either for the person's picture. Yeah. But all the text is still the same text from the missing people in the Lost Boys movie. <laughs> That's funny. You may be able to freeze frame it and, and see that. I like it. Now this one, of the two, I like this the one The first better. one's the better one. Yeah. Uh, also, I forgot to mention, speaking of cast, Mishu was in this. Welcome to the Now Mishu is a, is a midget. I remember from when I was a kid going and going to see Ringling Brothers. He was like the big star in Ringling Brothers in the 70s, maybe mm. in the 60s too. The smallest man in the world at the time. Okay. And I remember getting the, the first circus program I got had a fold out poster and it was like supposed to be life size. Oh wow. And uh he yeah, he was a big deal back then. And I think also he was in the Alf costume on the Alf show. Huh. If I'm not mistaken. But he is the butler in this. Yes. With his thick middle European accent, I can't remember what country, Slavic country, whatever. But it was kinda cool to see him in that. Yeah. Know. Yeah, it was cute. He <laughs> It's funny, he would always bow when he leaves or uh-huh. does anything, and they'd put in this crazy sound effect every time he bowed, like the wind whooshing. Yeah. He'd be like, whoosh. And like clicking his heels real hard. <laughs> yeah. Very strange. Yeah. Now, the second one, on the other Well, hand... before you get oh, to sorry. the second one, yes. the first one, there were weird things about it that, a lot of things that were a little convoluted, like we said, that didn't really make sense. But one of the things that confused me mm-hmm. is... You know, each time one of the characters would go to the scene and get drawn into it. Yeah. We weren't entirely sure why they ended up in whatever scene they ended up in. Yeah. Because um, it didn't happen like every a, time somebody crossed the threshold. It didn't. And I think that it was because if there was a scene that already had a victim in it, yeah, they couldn't go through that door because it's like it was it was full, you know, it yeah. was done. But, you know, they each person is drawn to whatever they're drawn to. And uh-huh. so they went to and looked at the scene that they were drawn to, and then they entered it. Yeah. Sarah Brightman, I keep saying Sarah Brightman because it's her name and it's just bizarre. <laughs> anyway, Sarah kept going to the Marquis de Sade, yeah. and they kept playing up how she's a virgin, and she's fascinated with mm-hmm. this this idea of pleasure and pain. Yeah. And she's standing there, and she's totally taken in by it. But then... Zach's character ends up drawing her out, you know, yeah. like getting her out of there before she gets sucked into the scene. Well, then the next day when they realized the friends never came out because yeah. they thought that their friends just got bored and left first. Yeah. But the next day they're gone. So they're trying to find them and they end up going to his 
father's or his home and into the attic. Remember that scene? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they go into the attic and they find all of this stuff that was... Yeah, because Patrick Meany tells tells them that his grandfather was this evil fighter like he was and they were friends yeah he and, was a yeah. like a, a hunter of evil things and so he goes into the attic looking at his grandfather father's his whatever trunk and, of stuff yeah. and there's one part where sarah opens this book about the marquis de Sade, and suddenly it's like this glowing light comes out of and the book and she's in a trance yeah. now we're not sure if that was if it was really glowing or if this is kind of we're supposed to be seeing like what she's seeing or feeling. Yeah, like maybe she's just still drawn to that yeah. scene and that somehow. was just exaggerating it. It was that wasn't real clear. Yeah, because Zach when he goes to get her, it he it, he doesn't act like he sees it glowing or anything. Right, you know? right. Yeah, so it was. There's just odd moments in it that don't make a lot of sense and aren't clear as to what they're supposed to be. Right, right. So I mean, maybe she was just so drawn to that, or maybe. Maybe the scene puts some kind of suggestion in your yeah. head and, yeah. and I don't know, whatever. But anyhow, so she ends up back at the waxwork and they end up getting drawn into their own particular scenes. Well, he by accident because yeah. he gets shoved into the zombie scene, but she steps into the Marquis de Sade scene. And yeah. she, when you get taken into the scene, something happens where you still know who you are. But you kind well, of just accept yeah, that you're there and, and you take on the well, personality of the character you're playing a little bit. And some people get wrapped up in it and forget who they are. Yeah. So Sarah was the one that really yeah. got wrapped up in it. And she just, she totally took on the character of the victim, victim of the Marquis de Sade who was going to be whipped. But Zach Galligan realizes at some point that if you don't believe in it, you don't yeah. buy into it. Then they can't hurt you. Yeah. Right. So at some point he just completely says that and they are trying to hit him and they're, it's like he's an illusion or a hologram or something. They're just hitting him and it's going right through him like he's a ghost. Now there's this one scene where he gets in the black and white and the night living dead. Yeah. And a zombie grabs him and he cuts the hand off and he brings the, the hand comes back or he brings the hand or still stuck to him back with him through the portal. Yeah. Into the real world. In the real world. By the end of the movie, the big fight ensues. The waxwork gets burned down, mm-hmm. and they think they killed all the wax figures, but the hand crawls out. Yes, and jumps on the back of the cab that they're taking to get away. Yeah, and that's how the movie ends. That's right. Now the second movie, yes, opens at that just exact before moment. that moment. Yeah, yeah. but we have a, a different actress playing Sarah in this one, and her character is a lot more naive i think yeah and in the first one she's portrayed as being rich like the rest of them and this one she's portrayed as being dirt poor and has a stepfather and live in a little, little apartment right and zach galligan is a much nicer relaxed dude in this one yeah i mean one can only assume if you want to give it any thought at all that perhaps whatever he went through just changed his attitude now this one was uh in the first one was in what did I say, 88? Yeah. And this one is 92. Okay. Okay. Uh, it was direct-to-video, too. It, ah. it got a theatrical release in the Philippines and then went direct-to-video <laughs> in the United States. Yeah. Now, this one picks up, like I said, we said, right at the same moment the other one ends. Yeah, they're in the cab, going and home. And you see the hand, you know, yep. go on the cab, and then she, 
they drop her off at her apartment with her dad her, her stepfather and the hand follows her in the house mm-hmm. buck flower plays her stepfather who's a cult guy who's been in tons of stuff he's one of those faces you're like that guy looks familiar hmm. you know but he's like the bad drunk stepfather guy and uh, the hand ends up killing him mm-hmm. she puts the hand down the garbage disposal yeah because it's going after her now yeah and then the next day you see she's in jail or in court because her stepfather is dead and got killed and she's the only one there there's no and it, he was strangled so yeah, so she's, it, we can only assume it's months later, she's been in jail and she's yeah. on trial for murdering her stepfather, but she's claimed that she had been at the waxwork and that she, she tells the them everything that happened. nobody buys it, of course. Right, of course, nobody believes it. Yeah. Because why uh, would you? Yeah. And so Zach wants to prove her innocence and... So he says, well, we need to do some research to try and prove your innocence. So they take her, he takes her back to... <laughs> but you know, how did she get out of jail? Uh, she was out on bond or something. Oh, okay. They don't they don't discuss yeah. it. It's, we just assume. Okay, but yeah, they go back to um, Patrick McNee's house and they they look they they walk in this room. So we've looked at every room except this one, and they yeah. walk in there. And there's a movie projector, and they cut it on. And of course, it's the typical film of you know the guy saying, "If you're watching this, I'm probably dead." Here's what you need to know about. Hunting evil yeah. and the time portals. The rest of this movie. Yeah. And if they, he tells them everything he needs to know about his grandfather and the fighting evil. And if you want to take up the mantle of fighting evil, you choose to do so. I left you this house along with all the artifacts. And here's yeah. the special locket medallion that can transport you through doors in time or time door, open time doors, which is a bit different from the first movie. Yeah. Now, we can th- only assume that those doors were created prior to because they i don't know whatever if you thought the first movie was convoluted mess this movie is a convoluted (laughs) mess it keeps changing the the rules rules keep changing yeah when they go in and out dimensions or whatever the rules change of how they react or what they know who what they remember and for my money each of the scenes are way too long and drawn out yeah i agree so maybe the alien scene that kind of moves along a bit yeah so he, they say, okay, well, you know, we'll, we'll go through the time door and we'll get something that'll prove that your story was true. Whatever it was you said is true. That's and, their motivation for yeah, going and we'll, not to fight we'll, evil at first. Yeah, and we'll bring it back and then they'll know that you didn't kill your dad because this crazy story is true. Yeah. And so he opens a door and they there was a, a big clue on how to open the door because it was an Alice in Wonderland. Um, yeah. Quote, and of course he points the the time door at the mirror, and that's what opens the door from our world yeah. to whatever time door. Which, of course, right now all we know is it's a time door, mm-hmm. right? But it's so, a time door, but it's also like, but we don't know that yet. Yeah, one of the it's like one of the things is like a movie, like that kind of goes into like a legend of Hell House or the haunting. Yeah, yeah, but like we discussed in the last movie, yeah, all of them were really supposed to be supposed real. to have been real supposed but to have been time it kind of throws time. you because he the first one he goes into black and white and it's not supposed to be a waxwork scene it's supposed right. to be a point in time yes. but it's in black and white it's in black and white and the next one they go to is like king arthur right yeah well then the very first one they go to is frankenstein's monster oh frankenstein's monster yeah. that's right frankenstein and then the nightly um the haunting and then the king arthur and then alien yeah so he he 
to kind of keep it together. He they yeah. open the door and they go through together. Yeah. And when he when Zach, you know, kind of comes to or it's not like he was unconscious, but when you, we see where they are now, uh-huh. he's standing at the front door in Frankenstein's manner and he's like the butler. Yeah, and then he sees Sarah, uh-huh. but she's Elizabeth. Elizabeth. And Sarah doesn't realize that she's Sarah. She thinks completely that she's Elizabeth until he starts telling her who she is. And she finally snaps out of it. And she's like, oh, I am. I'm Sarah. So they have to fight. He sees Frankenstein's diary. And so he takes the book and he thinks, this is it. This is proof. I can take Frankenstein's diary back and they'll see how else would I have Frankenstein's diary. Although, you know, in my opinion, that's pretty shabby evidence because anybody anybody can make Frankenstein's diary. But whatever. So he opens another door in the middle of, you know, the flames and rioting because they've all, you know, they're coming after Frankenstein now. But they open a door. She goes through and then he realizes the book has been dropped. He goes to get the book. And by the time he goes to go through, the door's closed. So he has to open another door. So now they've been separated. Yeah. She goes to, well, yeah, he when he goes through his door, he ends up in like the haunting. the haunting yeah and that one was interesting only because it has oh well okay let me let me jump in and say who the cast is in this movie well no just give you the cast as we go to each scene because it's okay. more interesting that way okay so this scene in the haunting it's uh, marina sirtis mm-hmm. and bruce campbell right so that was fun just to see them. I mean, they were wasted, but it was still fun to see them. Yeah. I mean, Bruce Campbell had a little bit to do. Yeah. Marina he was, he did was it. Typical Bruce Campbell from that era. Yeah. And yeah. it was fun. I think we're in big trouble here. I'll try and find some way to cut you down. <laughs> uh, that was the wrong rope, Douglas. <laughs> yeah. He was a lot of fun. And he, he had some. Evil Dead like comedy bits that happened to him. Yeah, that were he played. It was great. it was ju- it was Ash. And but anyway, it, it was fun. Kind of a fun scene. That that scene didn't go on too no, long. That, one that was, pretty, was good. pretty good. Yeah. But then it it goes from Earth and pans out and goes up into the space up to a a spaceship or a yeah. space station, and then you see Sarah looking like Ripley. Yeah, with a horrible from wig. Alien with a terrible wig. wig. Yeah, and then they go through a. A pretty decently yeah. long scene. Oh, and that uh, Maxwell Caulfield. Ah, uh, Michael from Grease Two. Right. Some people might say Rex Manning. I said Michael <laughs> from Grease Two. Right. He's in that scene. So she's up there in her Ripley persona, and she doesn't know who she is again. She totally takes on the Ripley persona. Uh-huh. I don't, I'm sure they don't call her Ripley, but whatever. And then there's an alien that's similar in shape and size to what you would picture from the Xenomorph. But not exactly. Yeah. It's got um, long tentacles like uh, green slime. Yeah, it does. So then, of course, she has to fight that. Then it goes back to him, mm-hmm. and he's jumped through another portal. And where did he go from there? Is that when he went to... There's a quick one with a, like a Nosferatu, a fat, a fat yeah, Nosferatu. Yeah, that's right. That's what it was. A pudgy-faced Nosferatu. Yeah, he goes into a Nosferatu scene. Of course, it's all in black and yeah. white like the Nosferatu movie. And instead of one girl victim in bed, there's, there's two, two girl victims in bed. One of them's Drew Barrymore. Yeah. Just out of nowhere. She says nothing. She just sits there with the covers looking scared. With the and, other girl, yeah. And that's it. And then it goes away and yeah. she's not on screen anymore. And come to find out, she was friends of the director and happened to be visiting the set that day. <laughs> And he just 
you know, just, hey, let's put you in the scene. She was like, okay. Yeah. You so know. That was kind of funny. Yeah. So then the next flash you see Zach has shown up in the alien spaceship and he saves Ripley because she's getting ready to get eaten. Yeah. And he's there with like this giant sarcophagus and I, I can't even remember what a else. Voodoo like a voodoo doctor's coffin or something. Yes, yeah, something is weird. But so you're like, well, what happened? And And he says offhandedly. I've been I've been going all over the place looking for you. So apparently he jumped all over the place, but we didn't get to see any yeah. of those things. He's had a few other adventures in the meantime. Yeah, until he found her. Yeah. So he finds her. But um, fighting off this alien. Yeah, the locket, the locket gets caught. And so they get through the door, but he has he's forced to abandon the locket because uh, the ship is getting ready to self-explode. And now they're stuck yeah. in medieval time. Yeah, so they go to, to medieval time and they're stuck there. Now, the cast in this part is Michael DeBars mm -hmm. is the right-hand guy or whatever. And uh, John Ireland is the is the King Arthur character. His last film, by the way. And David Carradine has a small part in this. Yes. Alexander Gudinov, who was the lead terrorist guy in Diamond. Oh, right, right. And he's on the, the guy actual, with the long blonde hair. Yeah, and he's on the box art for yeah. some reason. I don't know, whatever. Yeah. It doesn't so really this scene, this is one of the longer scenes, and when it when you flash into here, Sarah has taken on the persona of this um, young woman who's in love with Zach, who I don't know who Zach is in the show or in this particular scene, doesn't matter, I guess, but she is in a forest together with him, and these knights come riding up, and they grab her and take her back to the castle where her brother tells her that she has to remain pure and as a virgin because he's expecting the king to propose tonight. So the king's going to propose yeah. to her so she can become queen. And she, of course, must be a virgin for this. Yeah. So they go lock her off somewhere. And then you see the, you know, henchman guy or whatever comes up to him and, and they start talking about how he's going to end up being king. So you're kind of wondering yeah. at first if... Well, and he does... Come to find out, he does black magic, and he's got a spell or whatever that can he can change bodies yeah. or appears somebody else. Type yeah. Of thing. So Zach, in the meantime, is trying to make his way to the castle to save Sarah. Although they don't really have a plan on what to do now because there's no way to go home. They're just going to have to live there. Now he bumps into David Carradine in the forest. Yes, and, and David, David Carradine, Carradine parts, parts this wisdom about fighting evil, but he's too old to do it now. So he says, "Here, take this sword." Yes, and apparently he's lost his Lenore. Yeah. Yeah, and then he disappears. Yes, little Edgar Allan Poe going on he, here. He's lost his Lenore, and he's going to Poe Castle. Yes. Go figure. So, off he goes, <laughs> gets to the castle, finds Sarah, is trying to free her, and they end up at this dinner. The king gets poisoned. I believe he's already proposed, but we don't really see it. doesn't matter. Yeah. And in the meantime, Zach has seen that... Uh, Alexander can do this black magic and, and become a different, you yeah, know, can turn he, into a different thing. Out, he has the magic locket thing. Yes. No, no, he doesn't have it. The he raven doesn't. gives it to him. The raven gives it to him. Yeah. Okay, see, I'll get I there in a second. So Alexander switches or becomes the king, turns into the king. Yeah. While the king is in his, his sick bed. Yeah. And, and he hides the king's hides body. Hides the king's the body. Somewhere, who's yeah. not dead. He's just unconscious. Yeah. 
and grabs his sister and is going to marry her. Yeah. But things ensue. And, and at, while at some point Zach gets put in the dungeon. Yeah, while Zach is is causing or trying to uh get in there, he gets put in the dungeon and a raven shows up. And that raven starts speaking in Patrick Mindy's voice. Yes. And he breaks the fourth wall and, yeah. and says, Wilfred, of course it's me. He says, Yes, this is the only way I could I could get in this movie, or they could get me in this one. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, What what? What? So the Raven has shown up and brought him the time locket. And he tells him the time locket. So here's the rules are changing a little bit. Yeah. He explains to him that, well, one, the time locket can only be used to go to open a door from this world to the real world twice. So it can be opened to go into the this dimension and then out of this dimension. Yeah. So it can only happen twice. And then he explains. Sarah and you have actually stumbled into God's Nintendo game. Using their various time warriors as different characters, forever trying to oh, tip no. that delicate balance one way or another. You mean Dad wants me to be a time warrior? Maybe you're one already, Mark. To the death. Remember, it is one of the greatest privileges ever to be chosen as a time warrior. But it's not really time now. Now it's a pocket dimension where God and Satan are yeah. playing Nintendo. I don't know what happened to the time thing. Yeah, where in the first movie, it started out as fictional characters that, well, that we thought were fictional, were supposedly were actually real. Yeah. So things have changed, and here we are, and whatever. So now he's got his, his time locket back, and he's got to go figure out how to get it to go back to the real world, and he tells him some quote from Alice in Wonderland, and he's supposed to get a clue on how yeah. to figure out how to get it back to the real world. So he... Goes and gets Sarah, long story short, too late. Indeed. He opens the, the portal and he tells her to go through, but he ends up getting stuck and he has to like fight off the bad guys. And yeah. oh, the portal gets like, it, it's like closing or something and they can't both fit through. Don't ask me why they can't just go through single file. I don't know. Yeah, it, it, it's like the door in Titanic. Yeah. It's stupid. So she goes through and leaves him in the past. And then you see she's in the courtroom and they have the, oh, by the way, the little hand is now their proof. The the zombie hand has come through the portal with her. Yeah, this is another hand Again, somehow. another hand. And so she takes the hand with her. This disembodied hand is now moving and has life. And everybody in the courtroom is watching it. It's in this little glass case. And they're like, well, I guess that's a proof now. She didn't kill it. It's yeah. okay. Not freaking out. No. This is a disembodied hand that has a life of its own. Nobody, you know, that's no big deal, apparently. Nope, it's just like, oh, well, there's your proof. There you go. So she she is found innocent. No one wants to, you know, tell her she's crazy because they see it too. And, and she have, leaves the courtroom. And they have the Back to the Future ripoff. Yes. So she goes out to the to the cab that's waiting to take her out of the, the courthouse. And this guy approaches her from the oldest postal delivery service in Europe. in Europe. We've had this thing for centuries. Yes. And gives her this letter that's been waiting to deliver to her on so this the, time on and this date. this time and this day. And she opens up this little package and it's the time locket. Yes. Although I don't know how Zach knew to go to that time and date since it hadn't happened by the time he left, but whatever. And so... Yeah, that was a little uh, messy there. Yeah. So she takes it and she's all excited. And so now she thinks she can 
go back in time to get him because at some point, by the way, she saw a portrait oh, of yeah. him. She all... was up in the grandfather's attic yeah. again, and she pulls it. We saw half this portrait earlier. Yeah, and she pulls the rest of the thing off, and it's him painted like an oil painting of Zach, but in a medieval garb with a sword, like it's a very you know old old painting. Yeah, which also doesn't make any sense because it's not a time loop; it's yeah. a different dimension, yeah. but it's also in our past yeah, like I, said, like I, I said, don't know this movie was a convoluted mess it of was contradictions of, of of logic it sets up yeah it just um, makes it's now, whatever i, I want to yeah. say when i want to say it is what's happening that's what's happening yeah. would it be cool if <laughs> yeah uh, now a couple cool things while they were in the attic though in the beginning the first time they go up there yeah zach's pu- looking at stuff and he pulls out a bloody hockey mask oh yeah that's you know, right and yeah. looks at that and then another thing a camera pans across this table and there's like a white wig and a butcher knife, and then one of those old-style motel keys that says Bates Motel on it. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of cool. Yes. Oh, something else. You know the uh, the Frankenstein scene? The monster in it? Yes. That role was offered to Dolph Lundgren. Oh, really? But he turned it down. Well, I don't know that it would have mattered, because you couldn't really tell who yeah, it was Yeah, it was anyway. a horrible makeup. It's like they were trying to make it look like the Bernie Wrightson art, yeah, yeah. but it kind of didn't kind of didn't kinda, yeah there's yeah. too much his hair was too long and too much in his face to really see the makeup very good right now the way this movie i said earlier the, the way this movie is done doing all the time hopping was the way that the first movie was supposed to end and this movie couldn't decide it was trying to be kind of it was really tongue-in-cheek very a lot more trying forced comedy humor than the first movie mm-hmm. it remotely had and there were a couple things that were kind of cute and some of it was like ugh. There was one bit where Zack and Goodnover is sword fighting badly, and they keep going through the time portals and the different things. And one of them was, I think, the Nosferatu scene. That's how we get that. And the other was there. And when they go into a scene, they, their clothing changes to that period. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they go. They're sword fighting, and they end up in the night, the day of. Uh, excuse me. The Dawn of the Dead Mall. Oh yeah, forgot about. And of course, that. this character's dressed like two cops and a girl and mm-hmm. and, and Flyboy. And but when they go through, all of a sudden, I forget what how Goodnall's dressed, but Zach is in the Serenite Fever white tux. Yeah, with the Tony Monero hair. And uh, oh, that's how he gets the zombie hand. Oh right, it right. cuts off the hand, and I think I don't know if it grabs onto him or he just yeah. he just grabs it. Yeah. But they go through a couple of other scenes like that, and I can't remember how that's starts them doing that but yeah it's just weird it's if you see the first one you kind of got to see the second one but it is a big mess of a film yeah you know i'm saying right now that i i I enjoyed the first one more but now that i'm talking about the second one and how convoluted and what a mess it was i almost think i enjoyed the second one more (laughs) just because it was such a mess well the first one has a great premise that could be i think really fun yeah um it just wasn't executed as good as it could have been, right? And I think even I think even Leonard Malton might have said that, or some film critic said the same thing. This is kind of where I got it from because it was oh that that expressed my thoughts mm. that it uh it had a good premise for a, a cheesy horror film, but it didn't hit quite hit the mark. Yeah, you know? and it didn't. It, but I it, mean, neither of one, neither oh, of ahead. them were great films by no stretch of the imagination. I don't even know that they were good films, yeah. really. The but, first one had a little more charm to it, I think. Yeah. Uh, but each had little bits that were that were kind of cool. Yeah, like interesting things. Yeah, I think the highlight of the second one was the the haunting scene with Bruce Campbell and Marina. Sanchez. Absolutely, yeah. That was the highlight. The spotting Drew Barrymore in the bed 
for a nothing of a scene going, hey, it's Drew Barrymore. That was kind of cool. That but was amazing because I loved Pudgy her. Nosferatu, it's like, God, couldn't you, couldn't you find anybody else, you know, or, or at least try to do the makeup to make his face look gaunt, yeah. a little more gaunt and thinner because it's Nosferatu. Right. You know, pet peeves. Well, oh. pet peeves, but things that just got on my nerves. What's that? The knights in the medieval scene. Yeah. Of course, this was done low budget. Oh, yeah. The two hero swords, Zach mm-hmm. had and the other guy had, Goodenough, were the same sword, but one was, I think, gold and one was silver. But it was a Marto sword that, that uh, was around back then a lot. But all the other knights had cheap Tai Chi swords <laughs> that you could get for probably 20 bucks anywhere. Yeah. So these, these European knights were walking around with... Chinese swords. <laughs> and if you, you know, remotely have any knowledge of swords, it was blatantly obvious it's what, a, what type of swords they were. It's a pocket dimension. Yeah, whatever. Um. It, it, was, <laughs> it was piss poor uh, it was. prop uh, work there. Not good prop work. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, well, I don't know if there's really a lot more we can say about it. No, no, it's it's one of those things. We watched them both on, uh, what, we watched one on Plex and one on Tubi or Tubi, something like that. I think, that. yeah. So give them a shot. Check them out and see what you think. If you haven't seen them, you know. Draw, it's worth watching. You've got to make your own and opinion. Draw your own conclusions. You might have a lot of fun with it. If you have seen them and you're done, then, you know, then don't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Regardless, let us know yeah. what you think. Okay. So, well, but, I guess we have one thing left to do. Yeah. Prove that the world revolves around Planet of the Apes. This is a game that we do just about every podcast where Phyllis gives me somebody from one of these movies we've talked about and I connect them back in very few steps as possible to the original Planet of the Apes movies of the series. Clayton and I discovered this many years before the Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon that you can connect anybody and anything in the world back to the original Planet of the Apes. So here we go. Let's see what we can do. Hit me. Okay. Well, I think since uh, we did two movies and Zach Galligan was in both of mm-hmm. them, I don't think you've ever used Zach Galligan for anything. Let's do him. Okay, Zach Galligan was in Gremlins 2 with Christopher Lee. I completely forgot Christopher Lee was Who in Gremlins 2. Who was in The Three too. Musketeers with Charlton Heston. I forgot Christopher Lee was in Gremlins 2. You're too. welcome. I think most people try to forget about Gremlins 2 in general. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, that was super fast. You're welcome. Good job. <laughs> Once again, you have proven that the world does indeed revolve around Planet of the Apes. And it does. So go watch all the original Planet of the Apes films or the cartoon series or the TV show or and, if not or, and watch Waxwork and Waxworks 2. And so, let us know what you think. Yeah. Feel free to drop I, us a line at phantasmoad at gmail.com yeah, or been, on our Phantasmo After Dark Facebook page. Yes, we've been really busy the last couple of weeks getting ready for Monster Bash and then trying to get our cars fixed after Monster Bash that I am way behind on getting pictures up for the last podcast or two maybe. We're so, way behind on life right now. Yeah, so I'm going to try to catch up on that. So keep checking Phantasmo After Dark Facebook page and I'll try to get pictures up for the last podcast and the current one and some trailers and stuff like that so indeed so until next time thanks for listening everybody good night good night you ain't seen nothing yet 